The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the conversations and the stories shaping the world of finance. I'm Francine Lacroix. This week, we focus on what is happening in the London property market, particularly the super high end. With an election around the corner, are the super wealthy doubling down on real estate investments abroad? Well, property entrepreneur Nick Candy returns to the show. Along with his brother, Candy built one Hyde Park in 2010, a development that transformed London's luxury housing market. But he says if he was starting his career today, he'd focus on the Middle East, which he calls the most undervalued market of the moment. If I was that same 20, 25, 30-year-old today starting up again, I would be running to the Middle East to develop because I think there's just this huge opportunity. And after that conversation with Nick, Jack Sitters from Bloomberg's real estate and investing team gives the data on what's happening in the London and Dubai property markets right now. Nick, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Where do you see the biggest growth coming from? So you're, again, you're the high, high end luxury real estate. Is it the Middle East that's moving here? Is it Asian customers? Is it the US? So Asian's harder. And obviously Russia and Ukraine's dried up. Yeah. Um, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, my biggest clients were from the ex-USSR. Today, Middle East still love coming. Their preferred place to come more than America, more than Paris, more than any other city in the world is to come to London. They've invested huge amounts, not just individually, but through their sovereign wealth funds into our great city. So it's two big deals over £100 million last year from two Indian purchasers, uh, Poonawala and Ravi Rua. That's public. That's been in yeah. Bloomberg have covered yeah. it. There's been lots of other deals as well, which no one knows about, which are under the market effectively. I think London's at the high end is still doing very, very well. But the most undervalued real estate market in the world today, without a doubt, is the Middle East by a million miles. And the reports show it, the research reports show it. But how? Because it's cheap on a global scale because London, New York, Paris, Hong Kong, Singapore have all done well for a long period of time. Hong Kong's obviously having a dip. Singapore's just put a 60% tax on foreigners buying a property, so stamp duty tax. So if I buy a property for you know, $1 million, I have to pay $1.6 million. That's a huge tax. Wealth is portable. So wealthy people have gone to the UAE and going, actually... There's great education here, great hospitals here. I can live here. Yes, I can put my kids in school here. I can have a great quality of life. I don't have to worry about crime. Okay. And I think 
Crime is a huge deterrent. And you're seeing cities like San Francisco, Chicago, New York being destroyed by crime. And we're on the way. Don't make no mistakes. If we, if we continue on the trajectory we're on now, we will be in the same position. And Nick, all the Russians moved to Dubai. And actually, if you walk and in Dubai and, and Ukrainians, but if you if you walk in Dubai, that's very present. I think Dubai reminds me today of how London was 20 years ago or 15 years ago with every international community there. It's not just Russians, Ukrainians, it's Indians, Africans, Asians, British. The largest buyers in uh, Dubai last year at the very top end were German and Swiss. So it wasn't Russian and Ukrainians. Okay, so, and the research reports by either UBS or by Savills that came out said the biggest growth this year in uh, any city will be Dubai and Sydney. So on a global scale, if you can buy a, a top property for $2,000 a square foot or $3,000 a square foot, compared to the top properties in London or New York or Paris or Hong Kong, that's very cheap. But very it, cheap. Is it, is it people that want it as an investment or they're actually moving to Dubai? I think it's both. I think there's the investment side and there's also people that actually want to move. I'm looking at schools for my two two young girls who are 10 and 6. London's my preference, but I will look at the UAE. But rent, so rent has gone up some 50%, and we hear it from all of our colleagues. Yeah. So rent, I mean, it's actually in the last, what, 18 months, right? You have you have to pay double what you were paying two years ago. But it was probably a low base to begin with. So it, it's supply-demand. If, you if you've got huge demand and you haven't got the supply built already, then obviously prices increase. Supply's coming. Supply's Quite a lot coming. Of it. There'll be a lot, and there'll be different. There'll be low-end, there'll be mid-end, there'll be high-end. You have to cater for all markets. So there's this huge opportunity there. Now, I started my real estate, you know, when I was in 1995. My grandma gave me and my brother £6,000, and we bought our first flat. If I was that same 20, 25, 30-year-old today starting up again, I would be running to the Middle East. I would be running to the UAE or Saudi uh, or Bahrain or, you know, to to develop because I think there's just there's huge opportunity. But but I've seen and I remember actually you know Dubai and other places in the Middle East had this incredible boom in real estate and then it, there was kind of like a bust. So it cycles. It is cycles, but I don't agree with it this time. I've done a lot of research on this because a lot of people ask me this question. So I think this time round the structure and the base is a lot stronger. Okay, you have institutional investors into the region. You've got Brookford, you've got Blackstone, you've got BlackRock, all investing huge amounts into the region. Okay, they see the opportunity. Okay, it's a safe place. There's not many places today which are safe places, but the UAE is a very safe place to live. I mean, again, given the amount of supply that's coming on the market, how, how much do you think that the market is undervalued by? Lower mid-end, again, I can't comment, so it's not my field of expertise. But at the very top end, so the branded residences, the top branded residences in the world, there's still a very limited. We're talking less than a few thousand flats or uh, villas done to an incredible standard. And are there a few thousand people in the world that want the very best and live in a safe place? 100%. I mean, the, the other question, I've been to the Middle East recently. It's, you know, it is incredible the, the amount of money that's due a lot of times to the price of oil. If you look at peak oil and if you look at, you know, the, the energy transition, when does that change? I think oil and gas will be going for a long, long time, whether it's Qatar, Saudi, you know, Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, whichever country you choose, Kuwait. Uh, I don't think that's changes. Obviously, everyone's trying to become greener, and but even the West, we're realizing the cost of doing that is significant, and maybe we're rushing it a bit too quickly. 
obviously the cost of oil is significantly what's reasonably high still. I mean, it's not at its peak, but it's reasonably high. Obviously, that benefits the sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East so they can invest. Nick, there's also a bearish case that actually, you know, wage growth in Dubai is just not tracking the higher increases for property prices. I've seen that in Hong Kong and Singapore, where property prices have grown enormously and wage prices uh, didn't grow necessarily at the same rate or maintained lower than for a substantial period of time. But they've worked out just fine in Hong Kong and Singapore. And also, you know, people talk about this 40% property price growth in Dubai in the last year or two years or three years, whatever the number is. I was the first person to get £1,000 a square foot in London. I was also the first person to get £10,000 a square foot in London, and I got everything in between. From, from moving from £1,000 a square foot to £1,000 a square foot to £10,000 a square foot, it was a 1,000% increase. I'm not worried at all at Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Saudi, Bahrain, any of these price increases, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% is, is nothing compared to where it's going to go. I believe Dubai will hit $5,000 a square foot regularly. Very, It's already doing $5,000 a square foot for top villas, top places. But I think we'll hit $10,000 a square foot. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. But you're very optimistic on the Middle East as a whole, and especially Dubai. Is there anything that makes you worry about that market? No, not today. Now, obviously, if the war got a lot more serious in the region, maybe slightly, but even then, they're quite immune, actually. They're, like, they're not going to get involved in the war. I think I'm, I'm not worried about Dubai, Abu Dhabi. Uh, I, I'm also not worried about Saudi Arabia, funny enough. I've been there. Uh, they want tourists. They, they will have tourists. They want tourists. And we will want to go there and explore it. How many properties are you, are you building in the Middle East? So we're looking at a number. We haven't finalized that. We've been there for about two and a half years looking at a lot of deals. And we have a lot of options on the table. And hopefully next time I come back here, we'll better talk about some of those. When you look at the stability of the Middle East, this is something that investors like for the moment. Um, but there's also conflicts or regional conflicts that could impact the region as a whole. Do you worry about that? Yes, there's conflicts and it's bad and no one wants to see these wars. Um, but there's no doubt for the vision they have for their own countries. Forget their, their external investment. The visions that Saudi has for 2030, for Expo, for FIFA World Cup 2034, for the Asian Games in 29. His Highness, MBS, can't have wars on his doorstep for all this. I, I believe his vision will be executed. I've been there. I've seen it firsthand. It's mind-blowing. And I think the West, we have a different view of some of these wars and uh, that maybe they would. So no one wants wars. They certainly don't want the wars. Well, what are you most excited about in, in Saudi? Is it the new cities? Would, would you develop actually you know, very high-end luxury apartments there? I've not been to Neom and I've not been to the Red Sea, but I'm a regular visitor to the Maldives. I didn't go this Christmas and New Year, but friends that did had a complete washout. Why, if you go to the Red Sea, the temperature is moderate, so it doesn't have those monsoon seasons. You know, you're going to have the best marine life 500 times better than Maldives. So every hotel is going to be brand new. It's a part of the coast that's never been touched before. So I think that's very exciting for Saudi. I've not been, but I've heard lots of amazing reports. The place I have been is Riyadh, which is Daria Gate. And I think Daria Gate, out of all the giga projects that I've read about and seen, will be the one that's executed first. The vision, when you go, all you can see is cranes for miles and is the home of uh, the al Sa'd tribe, where the royal family came from. So I think, you know, for them personally, it's uh, obviously very important. Nick, when you look at, I mean, you were one of the original, right, high-end luxury and you really made a name for yourself in the space. Now a lot of luxury companies, LVMH with Cheval Blanc, 
or trying to replicate maybe what you did 20 years ago with different brands. Do you feel like it's becoming a crowded space? I think it's, it is crowded in some ways, but I think there's different brands in the space, and I think that's healthy. When we did One High Park, that was residences at the Mandarin Rental. Mandarin Rental is a, a great brand. I think if you, I mean, Mandarin previously, it's number one hotel in the world, it would have been Hong Kong. Today, it's number one hotel in the world would be Dubai. So, you know, things change in our lifetime. I think Cheval Blanc's amazing. Uh, they've got five or six hotels in the world today with branded residences. And, but hate it when these brands, like, say, four seasons ago, we got branded residences and there's no hotel next to it and no service. The nearest hotel is like 10 miles away or a mile down the road, or whatever. That's not branded residences. That, that's them just making some money. I believe to be a fully branded residence, you have to be linked to a hotel. You have to have 24 hour service, whether it's housekeeping, room service, or whatever you want has to be on, on st- like there. Does your job as a real estate developer change? Because you, do you have to have a bigger connection, for example, with the fashion houses? I think Ralph Lauren is getting into this, Dolce & Gabbana is getting into this, Armani's into these residences. So I think where the brands have designed homes, so you have Casa Armani or, you know, where they've actually designed furniture and Giorgio Armani's been involved in the furniture. Ralph Lauren has been in furniture for 50 years. I buy fabrics, textiles, lights from them. So I think that, that I've got no problems with that. When, you, you, when you've been a brand that's had nothing to do with homes and interiors, but you want to get into it, it's going to take a bit of time. You're seeing car brands that seeing do it today. You're seeing Mercedes-Benz. You're seeing Jacob & Co. watches in, in Dubai. What does it mean? I don't quite understand what some of those mean. I understand if I've got Cheval Blanc or the Maybourne Group or Ralph Lauren, but what do the others mean? So are you able to you know, put prices up higher in the Middle East compared to London? I wouldn't say, uh, no, a super uh, prime piece of property in the middle, in, let's just say Dubai yeah. or Abu Dhabi versus London will be significantly cheaper in Dubai or Abu Dhabi. And this, and this is because what, there's, there's more readily available space? There is. So we are very restricted on supply, planning rules. So like, if you wanted to build one high park again today, you're not allowed to build a flat, flat in the city of Westminster bigger than 2,500 square feet. So that's the rule. So any big flat for like 10,000 square feet or you can't build it. It's illegal. If you've got two flats next to each other that are 3,000 square feet, you want to join them? You can't. It's illegal. So the reason why our property market stays high here in the UK is we have very limited supply. Okay. And we can't just knock a building down and build a sky rise. Planning is very difficult here. Um, so if you ask me to do one high park here again today, impossible for me. Really? Yeah, I couldn't do it. Why? Planning, funding, purchases like... A lot of these international purchases don't want to put their names on lists, which are seen by everyone. So a number of reasons. We've made it difficult for the super rich to buy here. They don't want to. They're still buying, by the way. I'm confident they're still buying. I see it firsthand. But compared to what it was in the early 2000s, a fraction of it. Nick, I guess a lot of people are quite angry at the fact that the the very high-end luxury market means that there are many empty houses of owners Right, that they have it as second or third residency. I mean, is this something? This is a that crazy thing. Up? This this is a this is a thing across the whole world. Wealthy people move around. They go on half term when their kids are going to go skiing. Yes, and when they leave their house and go to Courchevel this weekend or Saint Moritz, they turn the lights off. <laughs> okay, I mean it's happening all over the world. You go to Dubai today and you look at all the towers. And not every light's on in every tower. It's the same in Singapore. Same in Hong Kong. It's a it's a crazy thing. Yes. We got a really hard time on this on One High Park at the time. I stopped listening because it was like, at One, at one High Park, the probably maximum time everyone's living there is 
I've still got a, a penthouse at One Eye Park. I don't live there. The lights are off. I live in my house in Chelsea, but I still own my penthouse at One Eye Park. I love it, but it means the lights are off. It's just wealthy people have got more than one property and they move around. And so that means that lights are off sometimes, but that's common across all markets. If you went to the top houses in Paris today, the top places in New York, the top places in LA, it would be the same everywhere. But the British press love to make a big thing of it. It's also a big election year here in the UK. How Huge. does that change? I think people, you know, when Jeremy Corbyn looked like he was coming in power last time, I was ready to leave the UK. I wired all my money out of the UK, ready to leave just in case he did come in. And thank goodness he didn't because it wouldn't have been very successful. I think people are less worried this time because Keir Starmer's not Jeremy Corbyn. And, you know, Keir Starmer and his team seem to be engaging with business. I think the two big things that people will worry about is, is there going to be a wealth tax? And number two is the VAT on private schooling. You know, I went to a private school, but my parents often couldn't afford to pay for me to go to a private school. So my grandma paid the school fees. An extra 20% on the VAT would have been a lot for my grandma and probably not, not affordable. So, so will that make or break the luxury market of mm. here in the, in the UK in terms of real estate? Or, or is it almost immune to anything? I think the London top-end real estate is almost immune to every, anything. If we had bombs landing here, then maybe. Yeah, people get up and go. But, but I think London, I think the Cotswolds market is unbelievable. That's very strong. Never seen anything like so strong down there. Uh, and there'd be pockets across the country which are yeah. amazing. But Cotswolds, so I understood that a lot of people moved out during COVID and then actually said, oh, it's a little bit too remote. Let me come back to London. So yeah. listen, we've got a house uh, an hour and 20 minutes door to door from Chelsea to the Cotswolds. We absolutely love it. Most we, most weekends, we, we, we will try to go down there if we're not away somewhere else. But uh, I love the Cotswolds. I think it's amazing. And if you ask me that, Five years ago, I said, well, you said you're mad putting on the Wellington boots going for a walk in the countryside. <laughs> so, COVID lockdown changes everyone. <laughs> well, COVID lockdown changed. I think it changed us going to the, the countryside. I think it changed us going to the Middle East. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why people went to Dubai in COVID is it was it's pretty open. So you could go for lunch, you could go for dinner. Yes, they had very strict rules in place. And I think they've benefited from COVID. They've benefited since then. Also, I would love to have leadership like that in this country where politics aren't in the way. And they actually make really good decisions and smart decisions fast. The problem is here, it takes forever. Well, it's, it's one of the oldest democracies. I mean, that's great. Democracies are great when you've got visionary leadership and you've got people all working together to get things done. It seems like for the last few years, we've been all infighting. Do, do you think Labour will do a better job? Is it time for a change? So I'm, I'm naturally a Tory. Uh, I voted for Tony Blair when he came into power. Um, I think it's, it's probably time for a change. I think all this inviting the Tories, and even now with the talks of Kemi Badenoch replacing Rishi by mid-May with people that have nothing to do with it, British people should know what's going on. And the likes of Dougie Smith and Dominic Cummings, who I've never met. Yes, if they think they can just pick and choose who's going to be the next leader of the Conservative Party under their remit, I think it's wrong. And on, based on that, yes, it, maybe it's time for some change. But we still don't know the Labour policies. But do I think Keir Starmer is a decent man with good values and good morals? 100%. Nick Candy, thank you so much. Thank you. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. So, Jack, you've been covering property for over a decade. What did you make of Nick Candy's claims that actually if you're in the luxury market, it's all happening in the Middle East? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think um, unequivocally, uh, the Gulf is having a moment. Uh, and it's if you, if you look around the world, actually, uh, real estate markets for very well-publicized reasons have been really struggling in this higher interest rate environment. The one place it doesn't really seem to be uh, seem to apply uh, is in the Middle East, um, and that's for a variety of reasons. You know, if you see the headlines virtually every day, uh, you know, on the Bloomberg terminal about yet another hedge fund move it, you know, it's opening an office in Abu Dhabi, opening an office in Dubai. These are very high net worth people. So, you know, clearly there's there's a plenty of demand there. It's worth bearing in mind though that real estate is inevitably it's cyclical and nobody nowhere does a property crash like Dubai. Uh global financial crisis, it was spectacular. Uh and actually it's kind of been on its it had been on its knees for ever since. You know, it took ages to recover. Um, and one of the reasons for that is uh, somewhere like London, it's not a very supply-constrained market. Also, you can throw into the mix geopolitical risks. Now, right now, that's probably playing into the into some of the attractiveness for the region, this kind of, uh, you know, reordering that we're having. Um, but it's, again, it's, it's always a sort of potential threat there. But Jack, so you were mentioning a lot of hedge fund companies, you know, moving to the UAE. Is this because they have their clients there? So is this just because there's a lot of money sloshing around when, you know, when you look at the, the price of oil, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a rich part of the world, or is it also, um, you know, some of the sanctioned individuals that live there? Oh yeah, well, so the, the Russian story is definitely part of it, um, and yeah, yeah, you hear that from from advisors all the time that a lot of their Russian clients have, you know, have set up shop in Dubai instead um, because of the approach that they've taken to to, to that conflict. Um, you know, the hedge fund thing, I won't I won't profess vast expertise on exactly why each fund has taken that view, um, but it, but it's clearly it's you know it's a it's a very big trend, and and to your point around. Um, capital in that region. I mean, this applies more broadly in real estate, but there's definitely been, I, I was talking to somebody, a real estate advisor uh, the other day who was making the point about just the amount of excess capital that has, has you know, washed into that region as a result of what happened to, to energy prices from, from 2022. And they are the real power now in, you know, global, uh, this is in relation to, you know, real estate investment 
uh, more broadly. But yeah, that that is it is where the money is. Is there a danger that again, as you say, I mean, without talking about a crash, that it's just not sustainable? I was in, you know, the Middle East a couple of months ago. It's incredible, the, like the buzz, the people, the new restaurants, the new cafes. It, it just feels like it's party town. Yeah, does this yeah. all, you know, all it's, it's all happening? Down? It's all happening. But that is that is exactly the question, right? Is it sustainable? But it's there isn't an obvious thing that's that's you know out there that's going to derail at any moment. Obviously, I guess one of the things you start to look for is frothiness, and I think. There are signs of that. Um, you, know, you look at the prices being paid, but but at the same time, I think just to come back on the original question and you know and Nick's point about London, I, w- I wouldn't write off London or, or indeed a lot of the other kind of you know classic um, super prime residential markets. I'm going to shamelessly uh, rip off some Savills data that I was reading the other day, but actually, if you look at the top end of the London housing market, the broader market obviously has really struggled. Very, very few th- transactions. Pricing r- remarkably resilient, uh, but transactions fallen off a cliff. But actually, at the top end of the market, and by here I'm talking five million plus, the deal volumes in London last year were actually really robust. And uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of reasons for that. But one being that obviously those very high end buyers they aren't so dependent on you know mortgages, and it's it's much more discretionary. So um, so yeah, that market is actually still ticking along all right. And Nick Candy was actually also saying that he was actively exploring a number of significant ultra-luxury real estate projects in the Middle East. Is it more lucrative because you can start from scratch? I mean, here are the buildings, you know, you, you refit a building, but it's very rare that in London you kind of start from just the floor plan. Yeah, I mean, look, developers are always going to complain about planning, right? It's, it's you know, it, for as long as I've been covering the industry, <laughs> they've been complaining about planning. That said, to be fair to Nick uh, and his peers, uh, I think the tone is different at the moment. Their their difficulty of, as you say, doing sort of ground up development, um, it, it, that bias has been getting higher and higher and higher. There's more and more regulation. You look at the size of some of these planning applications, the associated documents with it, they run to like thousands of pages. Uh, and, you know, as a reporter, <laughs> it's not ideal. Um, so so there, I, think, I think there is some justification for that. You, you also, yeah, you throw in some of these like ESG debates and so on. Is, is Should we be tearing down buildings? There's all this embodied carbon in the old steel, in the old glass, you know. So, so yes, development in, in this country is hard and getting harder. Uh, and you don't have the same issues in, you know, in a market like Dubai and a market like Abu Dhabi. I think that is absolutely fair. Jack, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, Francine Lacroix. It was produced by Summer Saadi. Additional editing by Blake Maples. And special thanks to Nick Candy and Jack Sitters. Hi there, it's Francine Lacroix, host of In the City. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss. The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter and more. The deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube.